Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Baseball From Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand, and we're brought to you by the House of L podcast network. Episode 19 is also called The Cubs and the White Sox Go to the Playoffs in the Same Season. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. Please do subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as well. It helps us get the thing to a whole bunch of people who like baseball or us or some strange combination of the two. Really appreciate you doing it, and especially for the postseason where, uh, well, we'll talk about it at the end of podcast, what our plans are for covering the Cubs and White Sox through the postseason. Joe, lots to get to, obviously, in a Cubs and Sox series to recap some, but we've got matchups. We've got matchups for the first round of the playoffs for both the Cubs and the White Sox. And, of course, we got matchups at the final moment of the end of the regular season. It pretty much took the final game. There's, there's no way this could happen, but I really wish that there would be more March Madness-like days in Major League Baseball like you had today where you're bouncing from game to game. And, and honestly, the reason that's able to be had is because of how many teams get in the playoffs. But I just remember in 2011 flipping over to ESPN and watching watching all these different games and like you said the Longoria home run to to send the Rays into the postseason as the Red Sox were just getting done with a rain delay and realizing oh wait we're not going to the postseason it'd be great if that could continue but obviously it's uh it's just a random occurrence but hey uh big weekend for both teams I think it went as well as it could for the Cubs and I think there was still a lot of good for the Sox but clearly still some things that they got to get over 
I think you're right, and we're going to get over some things together. The White Sox will head out to play the A's, the two seed. The Cubs get the Marlins at Wrigley Field. Uh, I actually just got – this is funny. I'm, I'm looking at my phone right now as we're recording, and I just got a push notification from the mothership, ESPN. They are correcting their their initial tweet about what their playoff schedule looked like, about what everybody – about the seedings. So even ESPN got it wrong because this season is absolutely nonsense. David Hochberg and the fine folks at Team Hochberg are anything but nonsense. They're a big part of the reason I've got a roof over my head. They help me secure the mortgage for my place in Wicker Park. They sponsor our show. They sponsor the House of L Network. I love them very much. They were fantastic in my home search. I had a great realtor, uh, but the fine folks at Team Hochberg were my financial backstop for everything. They were absolutely wonderful. It was my first time out there buying a house, and what I liked most about it was that they, you know, I was working the White Sox job at the time, and man, it was just really difficult for me to get home and do paperwork and like be attentive to the thing because of the baseball schedule. And everybody at Team Hockber was like, nah, don't worry about it. We got you. You're going to have what you need when it comes time to pull the trigger on your house. You should call them 855 56 David or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So, as is tradition, we have finished the David Hochberg read, which means we get to do for the last time on the Baseball From Home podcast, hopefully ever, the records of the Cubs and White Sox adjusted for COVID math. I hope we never, ever have to do this again. The White Sox finished the year 35 and 25. That's 94.5 and 67.5 via COVID math. It's a 583 winning percentage, and that gets you a 94 win season in regular times. The Cubs went 34 and 26. That's a 91.8 and 70.2 win season via COVID math. It's a 567 winning percentage and 92 wins. In the regular season. Joe, I'm going to break from form, though, just a little bit. Why don't you pick who we cover first, the Cubs or the White Sox, here on this penultimate uh, episode? Well, I guess it is. No, it's the last regular season episode of Baseball from Home. Really quick, remember how math teachers used to say, you need to learn this because you're not going to have a calculator when you get older in life. And lo and behold, we do all have calculators in our pockets, but we don't have COVID calculators. No, we don't. No, we don't, Joe. <laughs> so they were kind of right about something, and maybe we should have somebody to sponsor and get us some COVID calculators, but obviously we won't need that anymore, thankfully. Let's start with the Cubs because I think the Cubs had – more positives to pull from this weekend. It was definitely a well-fought series for them. It was a high-energy series for them. Chris Bryant looked pretty good, so that's a very, very good thing for the Cubs. It, obviously, you look good when you hit a couple of home runs, but I think he looked more like natural Chris Bryant, able to get those pitches left up in the zone and hit it with authority, and that shows me that the hand is getting better or the hand is okay, or whatever he was dealing with before, because that's what it takes a lot of is good hand speed and bat speed and just strong hands in that scenario, and that's why Chris Bryant was always able to, to mash those balls in his past. So that's a very good sign to see. John Lester had a few problems on Saturday, but I think that's still the John Lester we've been seeing all year long. I still think we see him for Game 3, 
And, uh, you know, the clubhouse and the dugout got a little energetic. A uh, certain bat flip scenario might have helped out as well. But I, sure. I, think, I think both teams got a little camaraderie this weekend, especially the Cubs. And I, I think that's huge for them heading into the playoffs. I want to start with Chris Bryant, though we're certainly going to get to Wilson Contreras. The homer on the fastball from Reynaldo Lopez on Sundays, Sunday's game, that's that's Chris Bryant to me. Just absolutely spinning on that down and in heater and blasting it uh, over the fence in, in left center field. That's, that's Chris Bryant. That's what it's supposed to look like. I love uh, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs.com. I have loved having him on the show. He's great to talk baseball with. He probably writes it even better. Here's what he wrote as he was kind of breaking down the Cubs offense this season and just how brutal it's been for Chris Bryant, for Javi Baez, and for Anthony Rizzo. Here's what Dan wrote. In just two months, Chris Bryant has missed time due to or played through injuries to his wrist, elbow, finger, back, and even missed a couple of games with a stomach ailment that initially triggered a COVID-19 test. Uh, he was out with the oblique injury when Dan wrote it. He has come back and hit a couple of homers against the White Sox. I love very much that Chris Bryant's attitude towards some very vocal and 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 ill-informed talk show hosts and baseball fans is that he doesn't give a shit. I love it. I really, I truly do. I have come to like so much about Chris Bryant and the guy he is, the guy he is for that clubhouse. To say nothing of the baseball player, he clearly is when he's healthy. I don't know if they've got a healthy Chris Bryant for round one against the Marlins or not. I, I don't think Chris Bryant probably knows. But a healthier Chris Bryant is obviously the best situation for them offensively. It's just it you can see what he can do. I mean, he doubled his RBI total the past two days, right? Heading in, it was five. He had the Grand Slam, the homer today. Um, I I never really understood that argument. I mean, the dude just had a baby over the off season. He could clearly have just taken off this year and and opposed to play Major League Baseball because of COVID and everything. And I don't think anyone would have thought twice of it. But the fact that he plays and he's injured and he struggles because of those injuries is doubt that Chris Bryant has the the drive to to improve or keep playing baseball. I don't really get that. I think it was a big breakthrough for him this weekend coming out at the right time. I mean, that's exactly what you want to do is get those good vibes right when the regular season ends. It looks like the the dugout was just elated for him and how you said he just does not give a shit. I think somebody I saw a tweet from somebody that in the dugout somebody said, "Yeah, I don't give a shit either." You know, if he can hit this, if he, if he can do this well, that's that's great. So so that's awesome. That's what the Cubs need right now. They need that spark plug. I think Friday had something to do with it because of the whole bat flip incident. I think Oh boy, I I was I was so excited Saturday morning just to keep reading about it and hearing people's opinions. I will say, for the most part, for the most part, and I, I'm sure there's Cub fans that are listening that are totally disagreeing with me, but I want to say for the most part, Sox fans were very good at not being hypocritical about the whole thing. There were a lot of fans and and people in the media even calling out the White Sox for saying, you know, if that was an intentional hit by pitch by Jimmy Cordero, what are you doing? Like, not only is the hashtag change the game. Yeah. Last Sox Fest, Tim Anderson had a bat flipping 101 seminar for these little kids. Like, there's no way you can go around it. I, I, I tweet it out, and I still believe it. If you find differences between Tim Anderson's bat flip last April against Brad Keller and Wilson Contreras' on Friday, you're just looking for excuses. Because 
In my opinion, it's good for the game. More bat flips, all you can get them. And I will say, you throw out Jimmy Cordero in that situation, it's really not fair, but I'm okay with that kind of baseball. Because right from the get-go, the umpiring staff is saying, you know what, we're not tolerating an intentional hit-by-pitch. Clearly, they can't prove that. But we're not tolerating an intentional hit-by-pitch for a bat flip. We're just not dealing with it. So you're gone. I'm okay with that kind of baseball. It's it's not fair, not right now, but you got to start somewhere. So we'll see how it is moving forward. You know, it is difficult to legislate intent, right, whether it's in baseball or, or just kind of life. But, you know, you bring up a good point that, if this is where we're headed in baseball, take note of what real life is. Like, we're going to have more bat flips. That means you you may have to, at some degree, legislate intent and toss pitchers. I I think, you know, the, every all the talking heads kind of going after, oh, what are the White Sox doing? How is he hitting? Obviously, that's Jimmy Cordero got pissed off and went rogue. Like, there is there is no cabal of White Sox players deep in the dugout as Contreras is coming up for his next at bat, going, ah, oh, Jimmy, you got to put one in his ribs. Like, that's not how that works. That's that's one man who wears his sleeves very tall, <laughs> getting very angry, and chucking one at a dude's ribs. Is that right? No, obviously it's not. And, you know, I think baseball, even if the game does truly change, baseball's always going to be a sport where, you know, Wilson Contreras or Javi Baez or anybody bat flips like that, and your next at-bat might be uncomfortable, regardless of what the accepted norms are in the game, because it just takes one red ass to put one in your side, and that's that's what this is. I don't think that part of it is ever going away, but I do think that the fan, fan bases and players, teams, and front offices, everybody in general is kind of accepting with open arms how everybody seems to want to have more fun in baseball. I don't trust... That the, uh, the the explosions of offense against the White Sox mean anything about the Cubs' offenses here to stay at this? I, I don't know. They're the Cubs. But we did episode 17, and I, I said that the best thing to happen here would be a whole bunch of runs from both teams to see what happens, to make you feel a little bit better. And, you know, if a handful of at-bats from Chris Bryant help you look at this Cubs' offense and go, okay, couple of walks, KB gets a hold of one, and then you've got Darvish and Hendricks to rely on, that's really the best situation that you're liable to get to in this first series against the Marlins. And it's Wilson Contreras contributing on Friday. And how about the fact that the way this series worked out for the Cubs so well is they win on Friday – Saturday they lose, but they clinch the division, so they really don't have to care about yeah. Sunday. It was it was a bullpen day. They they get to rest a couple of other guys. Rizzo gets some rest, but you get the opportunity to start Bryant in a no pressure situation. He hits a home run. I mean, this whole weekend panned out very well for the Cubs. Clearly, it would have been great if they could have swept the White Sox, but it didn't end up mattering because they're not getting that number two seed in the NL playoffs anyway. I, I think it was a very strong feel good weekend for the Cubs I mean John Lester okay yeah sure if you went out and pitched a no hitter you'd feel a lot more confident about him in the playoffs but I still think we understand what kind of John Lester we have right now in the Chicago Cubs 
and what John Lester will see or what John Lester we will see come into the playoffs, I don't think will be a surprise either way. How about the emotion from that dude, though? Because he was super emotional in his last game at Wrigley. He was super emotional on Saturday because he knows that that could very well be his last regular season game, maybe his last game ever. Yeah. And he was he was just hard on his sleeve that entire time, got roughed up. But, I mean, w- when they pull him – and the runs get given up, I mean, he's pissed. So Ross said it earlier this year or maybe a week or two ago that, yeah, John Lester's experience is still a huge factor and a, a big reason why we'll probably throw him in the playoffs. It's got to it's gotta take an account for something. I, I mean, that, that energy, that experience, and that passion that he still has clinging on to the final year of his career – is still meant for something once these playoffs roll around, I would say. It'll be really interesting to see how the Cubs handle the pitching staff in a Game 3 if they get to one. Obviously, it's Hendricks and Darvish in some combination, probably Darvish first, uh, and then Hendricks, and then you know someone for Game 3. I, I'm interested to see. I Joe, you tell me, but I... I'm impressed by Al- Albert Alzelay the last couple of times out. He looked very good against the White Sox Sunday afternoon. I thought so, too. Um, I don't he... think he'll—let me be clear. I don't, I'm not saying start him for a game necessarily, but for—you know, because the, the playoffs are different and you ride guys differently. You know, weapon out of the pen, three or four innings, piggyback-type dude, that's interesting to me right now. Well, right, but no, you bring up a great question because— is that a guy you might see in a game one or two, not starting, but, you know, whatever it is. If Darvish or Hendricks don't have it that day, or there's just some pressure, and we know how managers are inclined to yank their starters earlier than than longer in a playoff game, you've got some confidence in Albert Alzali. Maybe you do see him pitching game one or two, but then if they hang on to him for game three, I mean, you're looking at Lester or Mills, if they haven't pitched in the first two games, you know, how do you work that trio? It's it, it's going to be very interesting because of this three-batter minimum rule. I mean, we talked about it. There's there's no those one-on-one power matchups in the playoffs you normally see. they got to face three guys. I think you're going to see a lot more offense in the playoffs, especially once the relief staff comes around. And who knows, maybe we do see starters go a little bit longer. David Ross has been kind of doing that all year long. Will he do it in the playoffs is, is an interesting question, too. How much have you read or watched the Marlins since their entire team was basically forced to go into quarantine? Uh, how First, how crazy is it that the team that sent everybody off, you and I included, into, oh my God, we're not going to have a baseball season this year, actually made the playoffs? It's it's crazy that, and, and I listen, I do not want, I badly do not want this many teams in the playoffs from here on out. But you had to do it for this season. Hats off for making the decision you had to do, and the Marlins got themselves into the dance. What's really fun is that 31-year-old shortstop Miguel Rojas is the Marlins' best hitter. 31-year-old Miguel Rojas is playing short, and with an OPS of 140, one OPS plus of 141 plus, he is far and away their best hitter. Aside from probably the Milwaukee Brewers, I I like the Cubs in this playoff face-off against the Miami Marlins. Maybe one of the best 
opponents that they would have wanted. Cincinnati's a hot team right now. I don't think the Cubs wanted anything to do with playing the Reds. And again, you know, it's Cubs are number three seed, Reds are number seven, but all this got figured out right at the last final pitch because that's how close everything got. Uh, I'm really enjoying some of the Milwaukee Brewers uh, facts on Twitter with how they just not even like crawled into the playoff scenario. Right. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hodgercourt says, somehow getting in with losing records seems fit for the 2020 season and the Brewers, who never spent one day above 500 this year, this coming from John Wiseman on Twitter. If the Brewers sweep the Dodgers in the postseason, probably won't happen, and they go on to win the World Series, they still won't have as many wins as the Dodgers in the regular season. It's it's wild. You're right. It has to happen this year because that's the way it is. I've got another Brewers fact for you. Ready for this? This is from Andrew Baggerly. <laughs> Yes. They are the only playoff team who has won only one season series against an opponent. One. They only won one season series against an opponent. They were 5 and 5 against the Cubs, 2 and 2 against the Sox, 4 and 6 against the Reds, 1 and 2 against the Indians, 2 and 2 against the Tigers, 3 and 0 oh against the Royals, 2 and 4 against the Twins, 5 and 5 against the Pirates, 5 and 4 against the Cardinals. That is <laughs> insanity man and just goes to show you the Royals really were the punching bag of the major leagues this year uh, to answer your earlier question I have not watched much much of the Marlins this year unfortunately uh, they did pull up a former Kane County Cougar recently in Jazz Chisholm who is a Cuban shortstop that learned hitting from his grandmother which is a fun story that is a fun story <laughs> but um, they don't have that great of a bullpen uh, I looked it up. There's This is from Fangraphs. They've got the second-worst bullpen FIP in the majors. They've lost seven of their last nine. We talked about it before the show. They're losing Jose Urania, who is, I think you put it perfectly, a body that they need. Yes, he it's is. Not, it's not like a guy that can totally turn the series one way or the other, but that's a body that they need, especially if they have pitching woes. And that's what the Cubs need to face. They need to face a team that doesn't have shutdown pitching because it's very easy for the offense to get cold. I mean, you look at look at their rotation. Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara, Sixto Sanchez. He's been like. fun. I, I have watched most of Sixto's starts because he is an absolute flamethrower and so much fun. Uh, for Cubs fans not clued into the Marlins, Brandon Kinsler, former Cub, and, and right. really nice dude. Uh, he is the closer for the Marlins. He has 12 saves this year. A FIP at 5, which is a little higher than you'd like. Uh, he's outpitched all the peripherals, has Brandon Kinsler. And good on him. Like, I, I, he's a really fun dude. That's actually, he was once mistaken for Cole Hamill's little cousin, actually, when they were in <laughs> line at a, at a Cubs game trying to get into a, an event. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, the Cubs should win this series, right? I mean, baseball is crazy and short series are what they are. All of those caveats go into this. But if you have to pick, you know, if you're if you're staring at your managing editor going, I don't pick baseball games. I'm a baseball reporter. I won't do this. And he goes, well, you're fired if you don't. Then I'm, I'm picking the Cubs. I'm picking the Cubs too. Um, but it's baseball. On paper, sure, they should beat the Marlins. 
we don't have to go down the road of the 2003 playoffs. Uh, but this Ugh. is this is a Marlins team that has a lot of energy. I, I saw Lewis Brinson in the minors. I, like I said before, I saw Jazz Chisholm, Monte Harrison. I mean, those these are guys that were part of the rebuild and the reasons for the Christian Yelichs and Marcelo Zuna trades. Um, they're an energetic team, and that can work well in the playoffs. That can especially work well in a best-of-three series. They're going to need to create energy in a very quiet Wrigley field. And can I say, I do enjoy the aspect that these teams did not face each other all year long. It's very old school. I think that's kind of cool. Um, I, I like. I, I know we're going to get to the Sox in a moment, but I, I like the Sox-A's matchup only because I think it benefits the Sox because they need to face a team that doesn't know much about them because... In in Oakland's mind, the Sox are still a very good team. They're not this struggling team that had bullpen issues and weird decisions towards the end of the year, and that can maybe benefit the Cubs too because a team that's been in first place all year long, that's that's basically what the Marlins know. And, of course, I know they, they have scouting reports and well, of course things they do. that are more in-depth. But still, new opponents, fresh that could that could work well for the Cubs. I could see. Well, here's as as we get into the chatter about Major League Baseball, you know, the sport on the whole here. I if you look at a lot of these playoff teams, I mean, there's 16 of them, so I can't say one thing is true for all of these playoff teams. But for most of them, they're all kind of coming into the home stretch clattering and and barely living. Right? The Dodgers are the Dodgers, so they don't count. The Reds have been hotter than hell, so they they don't count either. But the Twins haven't been playing great baseball late. The Oakland A's have lost five of their last seven. The Cubs and the White Sox have sputtered toward the end. The Marlins have been playing 500 ball from the jump. You know what I mean? You look at the rest of these teams, and by virtue of letting in so many, what you're doing is letting in a lot of 500-ish ball clubs or, you know, the Brewers, who are just bad. But that is to say... What I'm interested in here is how well have you played lately? Not that I think this is completely indicative of how things are going to go for you in the playoffs. It's not. But for sake of looking at the whole the whole bubble here, there are a lot of teams that are just barely hanging on to things. Think of the Padres, for example. Mike Clevenger probably isn't going to be able to make a start for the Padres. It sounds like, as best as I could read, Kevin Acey is one of the best reporters in baseball, and he covers the pods. And from what I'm reading from him, Acey's saying, you know, it's it's a bicep strain kind of thing, and that could be, you know, a leaky into elbow sort of thing. And unless it's just a cramp, Clevenger's probably not pitching unless they hit the NLCS at best. So there's a guy that you traded everything for, and now you're back to having, you know, Chris Paddock and... You know, dudes, Denelson Lamette, who's pitched well, pitch playoff games. That that matters when you're looking at the National League and, and the scope of things here. I wonder if Cleveland still trades Clevenger if they knew that there won't be any off days in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, I, I know that they were looking to move guys like Clevenger and Lindor before the season even started, but Cleveland was very close to winning this division and being a number two seed in the playoffs. And they, we've talked about it, you especially have, seem to be a very dangerous playoff team. Yeah. I don't know who wants to face them, especially deep. You know, the, the deeper they go, they're, they're pretty much the better off they are. But we talked about it when they made that rule change, how, yeah, that, that totally effect would have affected trades a, a lot differently. Um, so we're going to see how teams can adjust to that. It's, it's 2020. Everything's weird. Everything's, everything's different, and we're just kind of going along on the fly. But 
this is just something we're not going to understand or be able to break down too much until we see it. I mean, a best of three playoff series, sure, we've seen a wild card game, but best of three is different when you got this rule change of only facing three batters out of the bullpen and then keeping in mind, oh, we could play five straight games after this game three right after this. I mean, there are so many variables incorporated this year that it makes it all just kind of a cluster. It's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. I'm really excited to see the start times for all these games because there's nothing better than playoff baseball during the day. Oh, yeah. Best things to watch, and we're clearly going to get that. Um, so I, I know everyone's pissed off about how many playoff teams we have, uh, the fact that it's just a free-for-all from day one until the end of the World Series with limited off days, but... Let's just sit back and enjoy it. Unless your team is, you know, in the playoffs and driving you absolutely bonkers, sit back and enjoy it while you can because we did not think we'd get this far. Two more things I want to touch on here before we get to the White Sox side of things. Shane Bieber won the pitching triple crown. He had eight wins, one uh, 163 ERA, and 122 strikeouts. He is far and away your AL Cy Young winner. I mean, he's not that wins above replacement is everything, uh, but Shane is a full win above anybody else in the American League. It ain't even close. So when I'm talking about the Cleveland Indians being dangerous. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Shane Bieber's starting game one. And baseball's baseball, but, man, you roll the dice, you roll a 20-sided die, and you got to roll 20 in order for to beat Shane Bieber, right? I mean, that's just what it feels like. Stratomatic is not coming up for you if you're playing against Shane Bieber. And then the other thing I want to I want to hit on is this in the National League anyway. And you tell me if you got any more American League headlines you want to get to. But Juan Soto is adamant because he did not experience any symptoms whatsoever after his failed COVID test. He is adamant that what he got was a false positive. Now, two things here. It, it doesn't matter if he had a false positive, he needs to be removed from the team and cannot play because you don't know whether it's a false positive or not, right? You could have tested him again, I suppose. Why they didn't, I'm not entirely sure. Nobody seems to want to talk about that. They did test him when he returned to play and things came up clear. But you could also be asymptomatic even if you do get the false. You know, so he's got, they had to sit him down is what I'm getting at. I think you have to give him National League MVP. It's it's COVID. Look at the kids' numbers. I don't care that the Nationals are a bad team. They had two guys hitting the entire time. That's it and that's all. Juan Soto had a, an amazing season. And yeah, he only played, I think it's what, 46 games out of the 60? But if you look at what he did with the 46, knowing that a, a, a whole host of those games that he missed weren't really his fault. The guy's got black ink across batting average, on base, slugging, OPS, and OPS+. 346, 485, 
693, 11.77, oh, 211 OPS plus. That dude is NL MVP to me. That's fine by me. Especially when you bring up those stats that are that are averages. You know, clearly he's not going to be able to to lead the categories where you're tally, tallying up home runs or RBIs. But the dude was consistent all year long too. I think I think that's the biggest thing. How many times do we talk about? Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Ian Happ conversation. Those guys, oh, those yeah, guys sure. fell off a little bit. Juan Soto was pretty consistent the whole way through. That does suck. That really sucks. And for somebody to make the argument, well, okay, it, he had a smaller sample size. I mean, it's it's a 60-game season. Everyone's got a small sample size. It's removing the yeah. goalposts with every conversation we have in terms of an MVP race or a uh, Cy Young race. Um you, you mentioned Shane Bieber. How about the fact that uh, I just saw this? He's the first guy to do that since Johan Santana in 2006. 2006 wow, yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. Um, I mean, Trevor Bauer wins an ERA title this year. I, I still like the identity of Trevor Bauer and who he is when he can back himself up with all his crazy antics and thoughts and beliefs and comments. It's better for baseball when he can back it up, so that that's fun. Um yeah, man. I, I again, I'm just very, very surprised that we got here. It's the fact that the regular season has concluded and we are having the playoffs. It's it's more the norm now because I mean, hockey, the Stanley Cup can end today. The NBA Finals are ready to be matched up with their two teams, and we're in the full swing of football now. But man, it it, it went from talking about how it sounded with the crowd noise on fields and high-fiving with your feet and now we're actually talking about playoffs and and who who's the favorite and things like that but again there's there's a lot of things we're going to figure out with all these rule changes and everything are you you know i i get that uh and let's let's make this the bridge into the white Sox conversation i suppose as we do some live producing i don't think jose abreu is going to win american league most valuable player i i think playing i think a combination of playing first base and then also having a another playoff team in Cleveland who has Jose Ramirez and the numbers he's put up this year, I think that kind of spells defeat for Jose Abreu. And that's, you know, that's okay, but he, he is going to get some votes. I think he's going to get a lot of second place votes. He He could win it. Because the Sox have been a lot more fun than Cleveland all year long. But I, I think what's going to happen here is Jose Ramirez is going to win American League MVP. I think so, too. And a lot of it becomes the recency effect. But I think that's fair because Cleveland was probably the hottest team down the stretch at the end of the regular season. And he's a big reason why that's the case. And he's a big reason why they came just one win away from uh, winning the American League Central after, I mean, once they traded Clevenger, you probably could have counted them as down and out. Um, look at the last few wins by Cleveland. I mean, I don't have to remind White Sox fans in that four-game series, but they had a walk-off winner the other day against Pittsburgh. They came back and beat Pittsburgh on Sunday for the regular season finale. I mean, that is a clutch, clutch team right now. We keep talking about how deep they are, but, I mean, I remember when they played the Cubs in the beginning of the season, and their offense just impressed me because they have all these hitters that can just hit outside of the zone, and they've, they're have they're stocked with switch hitters, so they can bat from each side of the plate. They're a very impressive team, and then when you're hot, that's 
really all you can ask for heading into the playoffs. So, yeah, it's just one of those guys that, you know, it's like the J.D. Martinez when he went over to Arizona, and everyone's talking about J.D. Martinez, and all of a sudden everyone's asking or thinking that the Diamondbacks are going to be a threat in the playoffs. They really weren't. That was a very fun National League wildcard game. But Jose Ramirez is just helping his case because he's helping his case by helping the Indians win, and the win, the Indians winning is helping Jose Ramirez's case. It's just kind of a hand-in-hand thing. Yeah, uh, you know, Tim Anderson's drop is a little disappointing in terms of the MVP race. He'll get some votes as well, and, and as well he should, don't get me wrong. He's seventh in the American League in Fangraph's war. He's behind uh, Brandon Lau. He's behind DJ LeMayhew. He's behind Mike Trout. He's behind Rendon. He's behind Abreu, and he's behind Ramirez. I might have missed one in there because I'm reading from a list that I haven't chopped down myself, you know, because it's the Baseball From Home podcast, and we don't do all that much work for it. Still, I I think what Tim Anderson has been able to do in back-to-back seasons, establishing himself as one of the premier hitters in the American League, if not baseball, is incredible for the White Sox. Um, Obviously, you're... The whole bet here was sign as many good players to cheap contracts as you can so that when you want to go spend money and and really heading into 2020 wasn't even spending a lot of money. That was just spending like the cursory amount that it takes to go put a winner out on the field. Uh, Now you go spend some big money and know that Tim Anderson is cheap and very good. Luis Robert is cheap and very good, right? The list goes on and on. Luis Robert to me was so much better than I thought he'd end up being. And I'm saying that because I know White Sox fans have been looking at the slump he's been in over the last, mm, call it a month, but that is to be expected for a player who has a swing profile like that. He stunned you for the better part of a month and a half. Terrific baseball, and he plays great defense, and... Maybe the best thing going for the White Sox right now is that Luis Robert looks good again. He's going to right center. He's covering fastballs. That is huge if you're going to go face the A's, which the White Sox are. Uh, But if you're going to go face the A's without Aloy Jimenez, which the White Sox might have to, Luis Robert looking like he's looked the last four or five nights is really good. Quickly on Tim Anderson, when he won the batting title last year, the main thing that was brought up was, all right, well, what's he going to do next season? Because consistency is something that has not been one of his strong suits. But that is a lot of internal improvement by that guy that does nothing but adjust and work his tail off day in and day out. So I, I know he dropped down to, what, seventh best batting average in the majors this year, but 322 is still incredibly impressive so yeah like you said a cheap guy solid guy huge part of this lineup he's going to be a huge factor of whether or not the Sox do well on the playoff run well and and Joe you know one thing one thing that bears mentioning like your shortstop just slugged 540 for you for for three months like that's teams are going oh hell yeah for that number you know absolutely no 100 percent um for the Robert thing I think you're right not only do you expect a slump for a rookie in his first year? You kind of expect it to be very exaggerated, too. Like, he was making defensive mistakes in center field, and that just kind of took me as, all right, his confidence is a little bit shot because he came in and started smacking the ball around. He was making these brilliant catches, and he's just a little bit off right now. And the fact that this condensed season – 
you locate that slump right at the end of the year, it's going to look like the sky is falling. So that's why White Sox fans get a little bit more nervous when they see Luis Robert not doing so well. Well, how can he how can he help us in the playoffs if he's not helping right now? I mean, we're talking a June swoon if we're in a real baseball season for Luis Robert, and that that's totally understandable for a rookie. Um, I do think he looked better as well this weekend. I, and the, the important part is I think he did a better job of waiting for his pitch. He was waiting for that sweet spot, you know, middle, low. He was taking advantage of hangers and pitches that missed, and he wasn't as eager to go over that low outside pitch. When he's slumping, pitchers just know, I don't have to throw it anywhere near the plate, and he's going to go after it. And I've said this before, it's because he's had success making contact with the ball outside of the zone. So when you get that confidence, you think you can just do it all the time, kind of like Javier Baez, and that just makes it ten times worse because you're just chasing those pitches because you've done it in the past and and you think it can work out. Aloy Jimenez. Oh, I'm glad you went there because that's where I was headed next, man. It's because because it's it's huge, Connor. It's going to be huge whether or not the White Sox have him for this playoff series, especially in Oakland with a gigantic outfield, gigantic foul territory. Chuck Garfine brought it up in the post game because there's there's a lot of things to to think about. If you have Aloy Jimenez, do you play him in left? Do you DH him? Do you use Adam Engel in left field? Because maybe he's not that healthy. And then once you do that, I'm sure every White Sox fan wants to see both McCann and Grandal in the lineup for this whole playoff run. But now you're taking away one of those guys from the starting nine. So it, it really does complicate things, I think. A lot of Sox fans have to pay attention on whether or not they're going to have Aloy Jimenez for this first three series, first three-game series, and what kind of Aloy Jimenez are you going to get? So explain to me about the McCann thing. Like, I I understand that he gives you a professional at bat and calls a hell of a game, and at no point do I want him not catching Lucas Giolito in game one. And actually, that's a little bit of news we should probably have started with. Lucas Giolito is going to get the ball for game one against the A's in Dallas. Keuchel will go in game two, a little up in the air still for game three, as so many teams are, right? But James McCann in September hit 200, was on base at a 267 clip, and did slug 525, right? So if the answer is, okay, he's got some pop, and the rest of your your catching compliment maybe doesn't. I, I I guess I can I can hear that, but in terms of how I want this team to look, if I'm making out a lineup, I'm absolutely starting Adam Engel, and that's with or without a healthy Aloy Jimenez. I'm good with Norma Mazzara. Have been for a while, and if like you said, man, if you're gonna go play in that outfield in Oakland, which is enormous, Engel has to be there. One hundred percent. I. But that's what I mean. So you put Angle in left if you have the uncertainty of Aloy Jimenez, but then Nomar's got to play right. So then you've got Mazzara's bat in the lineup. The James McCann thing, I really do want to get into this Giolito-McCann situation, or rather Giolito-Keichel situation. Um, but we've talked about it before. You know, they didn't have both catchers in the lineup as much in the regular season because it, it it's dangerous. You lose one. You might lose both in that situation. Um, but you got it because you want McCann's bat instead of Mazzara's, right? Like, I like the situation of having Mazzara as a pinch hitter. Who knows? He can come up and be a random postseason hero. I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't count on it, 
But it could happen, and the same thing with an Encarnacion. When you need a, a big league veteran at bat in the postseason, I'm sure we'll see him start sooner than later in the playoffs. And again, I think that hinges a lot on where Aloy Jimenez is at physically. Um, but that that's a huge factor. That's, that's going to affect more than just the outfield. It's going to affect the lineup. And I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on Giolito over Keuchel for game one? I, I like it. I like it. Um, be aggressive with it. Throw the guy. Uh, I, I like it. And then the, the, I think the reason I like it most is because, obviously, yes, a, a playoff start has all the pressure in the world, right? Let's say you drop game one. Dallas Keuchel is a stone-cold killer who will feel nothing and be like Ivan Drago out there. Like, if he dies, he dies, you know, in game two if you're down, right? And I... I get that. I like that. I think that's a that's a wonderful luxury to have. Um, Rickon signing Keuchel probably wasn't thinking of exactly that as a, as a benefit. You know, like losing Game One of the playoff series. But I suppose it's a help. Are, are you with uh, Are you with Keuchel over Giolito, or are you in? It's interesting you bring up the Game Two situation because that's honestly where my mind goes first. I call me a pessimist, if you will, but I think okay, if the Sox lose Game One, they need to win Game Two. So are you okay with relying on Lucas Giolito for Game 2? That's kind of tough. He's never pitched in the playoffs before. There's been some uncertainty of him not having success in big games. We saw a little bit of that this year. I think his last outing, though, against... Was it Cleveland or Minnesota his last outing this year? It was against Cleveland, right? Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, he looked good, but still Sox couldn't pull out that win. I mean, he was your opening day starter, so... After a solid year, you've got the no-hitter, you've got the good vibes rolling, you've got your catcher you feel incredibly confident with. It's funny, I, I'm I'm more at ease with Giolito starting Game 1 knowing I have Dallas Keuchel for Game 2 to stabilize and clean things up if it all goes south in Game 1. I know that doesn't make me seem like I have a lot of faith in Lucas Giolito, but I'd, re- I'd feel more comfortable with Dallas Keuchel on the mound for Game 2, more trailing 0-1 in the series or for both. Like I got a lot of confidence in him for Game 2, whether you're up 1 or down 1, but definitely down 1 because he can yeah. just totally yeah. calm the senses. He can manipulate the offense when he's in control, and he can really just keep everything in check with that playoff and, and veteran mentality. So I'm just kind of scrolling around the sheet for the White Sox on baseball reference. And, like, I, I'm i going to tell you a slash line of a player. And I I knew this. Like, I, I knew he was hitting this and, and playing this well. But I didn't know this. You know, like, one of those things that's in the back of your mind. is like, oh, yeah, this guy's playing really well. I didn't know he was this good. Or, or playing this well, rather. In 99 at-bats, Nick Madrigal hit 343 was on base 381, and granted, he's Nick Madrigal, so he slugged 374, but that's an OPS plus of 111. And remember, he played well over 70% of his games this year, having, like, separated a shoulder and then and then going back to play. That's pretty good. That's that's pretty <laughs> good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely pretty good. Um, I... A lot of times we hear the two-strike statistic for Nick Madrigal, and I love it, and it's very cool, and it's just fun to watch 
how he's I don't know him. any Sox broadcasters who bring that up at all. <laughs> None. I've never heard a Sox broadcaster bring that up. But this isn't taking anything away from him, but it's like, yeah, no duh he does well with two strikes because he's a contact hitter. So when all he needs to do is make contact with the ball and all he needs to do is extend the at-bat, of course he's going to succeed in that situation because of who Nick Madrigal is as a hitter. It, it's still very cool. It's, it's, you know, it, it, just, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, his defense has worried me, which I'm sure it's worried a lot of other people too. I don't know. It, maybe is it, it was his throwing arm, right on that shoulder yeah. that he yeah. yeah. So maybe that's a factor. Um, but I I still see it as rookie mistakes. I I don't see it as long lasting mistakes. I mean, they're a lot of times they seem like rushed throws that he just oh I, I need to get this out and this is the decision I need to make and oh man that's five feet away from my intended target it's it's not like you know a routine play I mean he's had the problems with the routine plays too but it's it's one of those high leverage situations where he just kind of rushes his thought and rushes his throw so that's where I think it's more of a, a rookie fault but yeah I mean that's I, I still love the way he comp compliments and completes the White Sox lineup. Um, it, it, let's, we'll see how he uses all that all that space in uh, the Oakland Coliseum or whatever it's oh, called yeah. now. Oh, yeah. He could have a – yeah, I th- oh, the oh, – oh, who knows? They, they name it every <laughs> year. And then they threaten to move every year, and then something in there sets on fire every Over, year. And overstock.com, I think, the, maybe. Oh, um, here's what I'm, I'm a little afraid of. I guess I shouldn't say afraid. I'm just wary of, of something in particular here. I hope that the White Sox, and I guess, you know, I guess this does come down to Ricky, right? Because it's his decision at the end of the day. The buck stops there. I really do hope that in the playoffs, the understanding and willingness is there to go to Matt Foster, to go to Aaron Bummer, to go to Alex Colomay, to go to Cody Hoyer, to go to Evan Marshall, or or even, you know, if they're if they're screwing around with it, to go to Garrett Crochet. And and not rely on Jimmy Cordero the way you have all season long and to not try and get cute with Reynaldo Lopez or Carlos Rodon or I guess we'll have to see I haven't seen injury news on Gio Gonzalez yet but I I hope there isn't a drive to get cute and instead use the bullpen weapons that have been actual bullpen weapons all season long I I I hope I make sense there but I, I worry some that a a plethora of tools is going to have Ricky kind of and the, and the White Sox kind of spinning some a little bit when it comes down to making some decisions here. It makes sense to me. One of the main things I worry about a little bit is we've seen a lot over the past couple of years of strong relievers get overused or used a lot in the playoffs and then that affecting the following season. This is a really good White Sox bullpen. If they go on a long run, with a lot of games played in a short amount of time and having to face a lot of batters, I really hope it doesn't hurt the White Sox bullpen moving into next year. There's a lot of what-ifs in that situation, but it can happen, but you can't have the mentality of, oh, I'm not going to bring this guy in because he pitched two days in a row because we need him for next year. I mean, there's none of that going to be going on in the 2020 playoffs, but I, I don't see them getting cute. I don't know. It's Rick Renneria. He's done a lot of things this year. Maybe they do get cute. May- oh, boy. I I would hope they they save a – I don't even know. When do you use a, a 
Carlos Rodon or Reynaldo Lopez in a situation other than when you're ahead by a lot, and who knows if that's going to happen in the playoffs. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. It's very scary. For what it's worth, just to uh, put a bow on on the question we asked, uh, James Fegan of The Athletic tweeted that the White Sox have said Gio Gonzalez left the game with shoulder soreness, uh, which is is the latest I can find there. So I don't know. Hopefully Monday morning as you're listening to the Baseball From Home podcast, you've got a little more information than we've got for you here. But that that does matter. I mean, hopefully it doesn't matter until that next round of the playoffs, right? Because you shouldn't be going to... I mean, it'll be Dane Dunning in Game 3, I would imagine, and it's not going to be a choice between Rodon or Gio Gonzalez or anything like that. It'll be Dunning. Um, or, or Cease, I guess. So if that's a problem the White Sox don't have to worry about until that next round, and maybe it's a problem they won't have to worry about at all. I kind of think that losing Gio Gonzalez is kind of like the Marlins losing Jose Urania. It's just a body that they could use. It's not yeah. not a shutdown arm or a guy you could solely rely on. Like I, I can't see a situation where the Sox blow a lead or are losing a game and think and keep thinking, oh, man, if we had Gio Gonzalez, he'd be able to get out of this jam. So... But that, yeah, that's 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 a guy that can eat innings. But that's not what you need in the playoffs. You don't need somebody to eat innings. You need somebody to make outs. So I was cruising around for the A's. I think we mentioned it earlier. The A's have lost five of their last seven. They are without Matt Chapman, uh, who is an otherworldly third baseman. In case you missed it, Chris Bassett is the ace of that rotation, or at least he's got the best numbers. Depends on how Oakland feels about their guys, right? They might say Lazardo or something like that, but uh, Bassett is their dude. Chris Bassett, a former White Sox, can you name the trade in which Chris Bassett was moved to the Oakland A's? Uh, well, I'm guessing the Marcus Simeon one? Yeah, uh, the Samarja one. It was the Samarja oh, deal. Oh, okay. The Samarja deal. So, so wait, was, uh, but then wasn't – there's they've got Frankie Montes too. Is that is that the Simeon deal? Frankie Montes, I think, got dealt somewhere else. Uh, didn't he go to like the – Dodgers or something? That does sound right. What, and what was I that? I think the that was Sox the, uh... dealt him to the Dodgers instead. It was Frankie Montas, Micah Johnson, great dude, and Trace Thompson to the Dodgers. And the that's the Todd Frazier trade. That's the that's the three way deal with the uh, the Reds, the White Sox, and the Dodgers for Todd Frazier. Um, will you bring up? Great question, by the way. And when you bring up their rotation, Oakland's rotation, they do have three starting left-handers. So that's something to keep in mind for the White Sox, who are very good against left-handed starters this year. They don't have very many left-handed relievers, but they've got a good bullpen overall. Uh, fourth, yeah, they do. They have fourth a very best good bullpen. FIP, bullpen FIP, uh, according to Fangraph. Sox have the seventh, though, uh, to end out the year. So... I don't know. Could be a lot of good pitching overall, um, but I, I still think an explosive White Sox lineup can do whatever they want in an inning if they're if they're all on task. I guess I, what what it comes down to it, I'm I'm not going to pick against the White Sox mostly because in the first round anyway, because I want to do more baseball from home podcasts. I I've just really enjoyed doing this, so I I want to do more of them. So I guess the base the official stance of the baseball from home pod is that we're we're picking the Cubs and the White Sox in their first round series. Yeah, yeah, we we got it. Good, good, good. All right, fair enough. That helps. Uh, here's what we're going to do for the Baseball From Home podcast. You will actually get a handful of minutes each night after a Cubs and White Sox playoff game. You'll you'll get a handful. It'll be however much we, we decide to do. Uh, but then because of the virtue of when we've been recording, 
some personal issues popping up here on the pod as well. We are are gonna encapsulate everything in a big baseball from home pod once the series are over. You know your typical Thursday night, Friday morning podcast release. But we're gonna do a couple of minutes uh, each night along the way as well, so that you're not completely left without. Really, it's so that we're not bored, but so that you're not completely left without some baseball from home. Joe, this has been uh, a crazy, ridiculous, but very fun regular season. I'm looking forward to covering the playoffs with you, man. Absolutely. I uh, can't, can't thank you and Lawrence enough for letting me hop on and join you guys with this. It's been an absolute blast. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that the regular season is all over with, so there's some somberness there, but I am pretty jacked for this playoff run. It's going to be like baseball March Madness. We're going to have a lot of baseball every day. Whether we like it or not, I'm ready to pull uh, Hawk Harrelson and sit back, relax, and strap it all down. That's episode 18 of the Baseball from Home podcast. Thanks to Lawrence. Thanks to Team Hawkberg. Thanks to you, most of all, for listening. We will catch you Wednesday morning after game one. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.